titled today's sermon, Assurance. Assurance. I want to explain what that word means, especially for you kids, before we go on anywhere. What I'm going to be doing, Lord willing, is to, on Easter Sunday, preach a sermon titled Prophecy Fulfilled, and then the very next Sunday we'll start a sermon series going through the book of Revelation titled Revelation Revealed. And so for these next two months, I'm going to be preaching out of some selected passages out of Isaiah uh, that I'm pretty familiar with to give me some extra time over these two months to study and prepare for the Revelation series. So we'll be in some selected passages out of Isaiah between now and uh, Palm Sunday, in fact. But assurance, as we talk about that, you know, some of you have been just so kind, especially the last few months, I guess the Colossians series really resonated with quite a few people, and you've just told me how much the series has meant to you and how you've enjoyed the Colossians series that we went through and just said some very you know, kind words. But I want to always be quick to point you know, to the Lord in that, that if I have anything good to say or anything comes from me in, in the preaching that is a benefit to you, it's all about God. And I don't ever want to touch his glory. I want to be quick to repent of any time that maybe you have said something to me and I haven't immediately pointed to him. Because, see, I can study all week, and, and I do. I, most weeks I kind of jokingly say I study myself stupid, you know, each week. But I can study, study, study. But if it doesn't speak to my heart if we didn't have God's word in the first place. And if God doesn't move, I have nothing to offer. I, I don't have anything apart from God. But because we have God's word, because God has called me, because God has called me to preach and to be the pastor of this church, then I have an assurance that God is going to show up and God is going to do what only he can do. And so my confidence is not in myself, but my confidence is in the Lord. And I have an assurance that as we stand on his word and as we proclaim his word, that God is going to show up. You know, if you've ever been to an airport and you've seen people at a gate waiting to board the flight and they're sitting there with a ticket in hand and they're, they seem calm, relaxed, maybe they're watching a movie or listening to something on their, their phone, then you'll see sometimes other people by the, the gate and they're kind of hovering around the ticket counter because they're on standby. They're trying to get onto that flight. They don't actually have a ticket for that flight. But they want to get on it. And they're standing there and they're frantic. They're waiting to see if they're going to be able to get on. Well, those people that are seated with the ticket in hand, they have the assurance that they're going to get on that flight. The other people do not. I remember when I was in school, there were times where I had studied for a test and I knew what was on the test. And I took the test and I did well. And I left being assured that I was going to have a good grade. There are other times, I remember one time in particular, Asking, after, asking my friends after a particular test, they, and, and literally asking this, going, is, is a D a passing grade? I mean, I did not have the assurance that I was going to pass. You see, hopefully I'm beginning to frame in for you a little bit what assurance means. As believers, there are some things that God has given us. There are some assurances that God's given us that really are very important to your spiritual life. And we're going to touch on those in Isaiah 56 today. Isaiah 56, verses 1 through 8 is where we're going to be. And I'm going to ask you four questions. We're going to ask and answer four questions about assurance as we walk through these verses. 
Isaiah 56, we're going to begin with just verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord. Now that should get your attention. This is God saying, I'm speaking. I'm speaking through the mouth of my prophet, but I'm speaking. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Yahweh. Thus speaks the covenant-keeping, faithful creator God. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. Now the justice you know, this is almost splitting hairs, but I think there is a differentiation. Uh, you can't differentiate between these two terms. Justice has more to do with our attitude towards others. Righteousness, especially in this context, he's speaking more of a personal holiness, a personal righteousness. He says, thus says Lord, keep justice. In other words, do right by each other. Take care of the orphans, the widows, those in distress. Don't oppress one another. Do justice. Be just in your dealings with one another. And do righteousness. Walk personally in righteousness, for my salvation is about to come. That's interesting that he puts those together. He's saying, act right, because I'm about to show up, in other words. Do justice and walk in righteousness, because my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness is about to be revealed. I'm about to do something in your midst, and you want to be found ready for it when it happens. Blessed is the man who does this. See, not everybody who knows it or hears it does it. Jesus, when he was telling the parable of the wise and the foolish builders, he said there are those that build their house on the sand, and when the storm comes, the house, it doesn't last because it's on the sand. There are those that build their house on the rock, and when the storm comes, the house stands because it's built on the rock. And he says those who hear my words, don't miss this, and do it, are like those who build their house on the rock. So Jesus was telling us it's not just enough to hear the word, but you have to do the word. And here in Isaiah, he's saying, look, it's not enough just to know the word, but you need to be doing the word and be found doing the word when I show up. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold on it. You get a hold of it, you keep after it. Who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing evil. Now, why does he bring the Sabbath in here? Well, because going back, especially to the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath was a part of the Big Ten, right? And what's interesting in the Sabbath is when God is giving them the Sabbath regulations, he does not command them to worship on the Sabbath. That's a misconception. Some of of y'all just woke up. He commands them to rest. And in resting, they were worshiping because they were an agricultural people. And if you're not out working the field and you're not bringing in food for your family, and you're sitting at home doing nothing, it was an expression of trust in God to provide. So when he gives the Sabbath command, he actually does not say, honor the Sabbath to worship me. Go and read it for yourself. Keep the Sabbath and rest. You shall do no work in it. The command is to rest. And it was in the rest that they were expressing a trust in God. It was in rest that they were worshiping God. It was in rest that they were saying, you are God, you are good, you are great, you will provide for our need. And as a way of showing that we really trust you, instead of going out and spinning our wheels and working, we're going to obey you and we're going to sit here and we're going to watch you provide. Who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing evil. The first question I want to ask you is this. Do you have an assurance of the day of the Lord? Remember, we explained assurance. Do you have an assurance? Do you have a hope set upon the fact that God's going to show up? Now, 
It does not say day of the Lord in this passage, but it uses day of the Lord terminology. My salvation is about to show up. My righteousness is about to be revealed. That's a day of the Lord. That's when God shows up. Now, it may look different at different times. I believe that there are days of the Lord now, and there is a day of the Lord that's still to come, the return of Christ. But if you look again at these first two verses, God says, thus says the Lord, keep justice, do righteousness. Do right. Why? He gives the motivation. For my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is he who does this. Do right because I'm about to show up. That's a day of the Lord. My righteousness is about to be revealed. My salvation is about to come. So again, I want to ask you, do you have an assurance of the day of the Lord? If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and you have received the forgiveness of sins and you have been filled with God's Spirit, do you, Christian, and this is so important, do you have an inner confidence that God's going to show up, that it's going to be okay, that God will see you through, that he will not fail you? Do you have that assurance? I think sometimes there are days of the Lord here that are building up to the great day of the Lord when Jesus returns, such as maybe God has healed you and God has just shown up and you no longer have the illness that you once did. Maybe God has worked in that wayward child's heart and God has shown up. There has been a salvation that's been revealed. There's been a righteousness that's been revealed. And God has shown up. There's been a day of the Lord and God has done something. He has intervened and your situation's changed. Maybe there's been that time where your situation hasn't changed, but God has changed you in the midst of your situation. God has given you peace in the midst of the storm. God's shown up. You've had your own little day of the Lord. Well, God has shown up and he has spoken salvation and righteousness to you. All of those that we see now are just a foretaste of what is to come. There is coming a day when Jesus will break the clouds and he will return and he will right every wrong. He will wipe away every tear from every eye and he will take us home. Those who are called by his name, we get to go and be with him forever. And listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that is where you need to hang the full weight of your hope. It's not in the things of this world. It's in the fact that my Jesus is really going to return. And in his return, everything is going to be taken care of. So I don't have to worry about it. I can pray and I can work and I can be found faithful now because I know there's a day when my master is going to return and he's going to set it all right. That is the privilege of a believer in Jesus Christ to live with that kind of assurance. I remember... Tim Keller told a story of a philosophy professor, I've forgotten the gentleman's name, in the last century that uh, was a philosophy professor that was not a believer, and he just lacked peace. He was studying the religions of the world and, and thinking through, you know, the existence of God and all of that, and he had rejected God, but he had no peace, and so he had to try to come up with some way to have peace in this life. So what he had done was he started a notebook, and every time he read something that was an encouragement to him, he would take that quote and he would write it down in his notebook. Every time he came across something or heard something that built him up, that lifted him up, he'd put it in this notebook. So he just kept compiling these sayings, these quotes, uh, songs, lyrics, whatever it was that was an encouragement that lifted his spirit, he was putting it in this notebook. And his plan was to have a a notebook that was so filled with uplifting things that he could basically just sit down and read through this notebook, and at any point, he just he knew it would be okay. He'd have the things that he needed to comfort his soul. 
And so after he had been done doing this for a number of years, he finally decided it's time to sit down. My notebook is full. It's time to sit down. It's, it's time to know peace. It's time to take all of these things that have inspired me over the years and really just absorb it. And as he sat down and he read through it, he was extremely discouraged. He was disheartened. He was disillusioned because something that he had written down one day that was meaningful to him then, it didn't mean anything to him that other day. The circumstances had changed. His perspective had changed. Something else had happened. And, and these things that he thought were going to be so meaningful to him, either he had changed or circumstances changed or whatever had taken place, whereas he read through this notebook that he had said is, Hope upon it just, it disappointed. It continued to cause him to press and look for truth and peace in this world until he found God's word. And as he read God's word, he eventually put his faith in Christ and he had the assurance that only a child of God has that as a child of God, we have a king who not only holds us in his hands now, but he is going to return one day, and he is going to make it all right. That assurance is only found in Jesus Christ. And why do I bring it up that way? Because, listen, we put our faith in false assurances every day without even realizing we're doing it. Anytime that you are trusting something else other than God to satisfy your soul, you've just worshipped an idol. When your heart is just not right and you're, you're not at peace and something is not right and instead you go and you're, you know, emotional eating to cope with it, you, you've not known the assurance of a child of God. When, when something's not right and, and you, you find yourself just buying and shopping online and trying to accumulate things that are going to make you feel good, you've neglected the assurance that you have as a child of God and you, you're trying to allow the things of this world to fill the void that only God can. When maybe you're feeling insecure and rejected and you, you go to people and, you, and you're gossiping and running down others and you're trying to get others to pat you on the back and make you feel better about yourself, you've, you've set aside the assurance that only God can give for the things of this world. You see, there is an assurance that we have in Jesus Christ. And He fulfills and He speaks peace to the turbulent waters of the human heart. And only Jesus can cure the heart. And only he can do it like none other. You see, we go to all of these lesser things and they simply don't satisfy. They're empty wells that we have to keep drawing from over and over again. But I want to ask you, do you have the assurance of the day of the Lord? Do you know that Jesus is going to return and in that day he's going to make it right and you do you allow that to set your soul at peace? Number two, why would you want this assurance? Well, I've already been building into that, and we're going to kind of move faster here now through the rest of these questions. But why would you want this assurance? Well, again, when you look at verses 1 through 2, he says, Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness is about to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this. He's saying, look, in light of my salvation that's about to show up, Here's how you're to live. Now, we all need motivation, right? I mean, when you're feeling unmotivated, it's hard to get anything done. In your Christian life, if you're feeling lethargic about holiness, if you're feeling lethargic about righteousness, if you're having trouble walking with your God in holiness, look, you need to 
begin to look afresh and anew at what it means for Jesus to return one day. Then in light of my master's return, here's how I want to be found. Jesus talked about this a lot. Many of his parables have to do with the master returning, and the servants are either ready or they're not. For time's sake, I'm not going to go to 2 Peter. But 2 Peter 3, 10 through 18, deals with this over and over again. In light of the return of Jesus, live this way. In light of the day of the Lord, live this way. In light of the hope that we have in Christ and his return, here is what you have now. But somehow we've just kind of, I don't know. It's like the most underrated part of the gospel. We just forget about the significance of the fact that the one who created this world is going to come back one day and judge it. That's a big deal. It's kind of like this. You know, when you have a wedding day and you mark it on your calendar, how much of your life revolves around getting ready for that day? A lot. A lot of money is spent getting ready for that day. And all the fathers of the bride said amen. A lot of time is put into getting ready for that day and meeting with photographers and going to showers and doing this and doing that. How much goes into getting ready for that day? What about those of you that are getting ready to retire? How much time have you put in? How many days have you been faithful? How many times have you punched that clock? How many times have you shown up in preparation for that day when you can retire? But for those of you that are in school, you're getting ready to graduate. How many AP classes and times have you crammed for tests? And how many times have you done things in the here and now because you're getting ready for that graduation day? We understand what it is to have a day that we're looking for and to allow that day to affect the here and now. That's not a hard concept for us. But somewhere the church of Jesus Christ has lost, has lost the impending nature of the day of the Lord, that it is really going to happen, that it is really going to come to pass, and that it could really come any moment. The imminent nature of the day of the Lord. But I tell you what, if you'll regain it, if you will really allow it to sink into your heart that Jesus Christ could return at any moment, I mean, he could return right now. You don't have to go through Matthew 24 and check off all the events and then go, okay, now we're ready for Jesus to return. That's jump. Go out, preach the gospel, and Jesus will return. This gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in all the world as a witness to the nations, and then the end will come. So quit worrying about the tornadoes and the earthquakes and all that stuff, and you just preach the gospel, and you will hasten the day of the Lord. So God is calling us to really have it settled in our heart that he could return at any moment. And when we really have that settled, when we have that assurance, it will lead you into a holy life. Third question. I know I need to get done because y'all really don't care about me too much. You just want to vote and, and get home before it's too icy, right? So let's, let's keep moving. What are hindrances to this assurance? Now, I know that we have a congregation that loves God's word. So let's press on. Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 5. What are hindrances to this assurance? I know those of you that are filling in the growth guide, kids, that's a big word, hindrances. Give you a moment to fill that in. What are hindrances? What keeps you from having this assurance? Look at verse 3. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated from me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here I am a dry tree, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, even to them I will 
given my house and within my walls a place and a name. Better than that of sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. What an amazing few verses. Okay, in the temple, there are only certain places that Gentiles could go. And then if you were a Jew, you could go further in. Then if you were a priest, you could go further in. And then only the high priest could go in a certain place in only one day a year. Also, a eunuch in the, in the Old Testament was not allowed to go into those places. They were considered unclean. But what God is saying here is he's saying, look, all of these divisions that once existed and those divisions that we make as men, God is saying, I'm about to bypass all of that. And whoever puts their faith in me, they're going to be welcomed into my house, even to the extent that that house, that temple that they couldn't enter before, I'm going to write their name on the walls of it. What God is saying in this passage is don't, don't feel like an outsider. Don't say, hey, I, I'm a, a foreigner. Hey, I'm a eunuch. Hey, I have these things going on where I can't draw near to God. God says in verse 4, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give them my house within my walls a place and a name better than sons or daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. What God is saying is, look, draw near to me. Come near to me. Keep my covenant. Believe in me. Hold fast to my service. Believe in me. And I will do for you more than you could ever imagine. I will draw you near and I will write your name where before you couldn't even enter in. So what keeps us from this assurance? I think most often we keep ourselves from this assurance. We allow the guilt and the shame of past sins to keep us from the assurance of a child of God. We allow the voice of the enemy to make us feel like second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. We allow the criticism of others that like to exalt themselves and put down others to make them feel better about themselves. We think, well, yeah, they're, they're better than me. And we, we doubt that we have the same assurances. We doubt that we have the same access to the throne of grace as others because we listen to our critics. We listen to condemnation. We're, we're like the eunuch or the foreigner that says, well, surely the promises of God can't be for me. My friend, at the cross, it's level. And at the cross, we find all of the covenants of old fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And as his blood was shedding from that cross, dying in my place for my sin, what Jesus was saying is, there is not a single one of you that has a right to the Father any more than the other because you all come through me. And so I just think if we're honest, sometimes, sometimes our greatest hindrance to walking with the assurance, hey, God is for me, he's not against me, is we're just listening to condemning thoughts, we're listening to critics, we're putting ourselves down, we're listening to the enemy. And here's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is this, it meets you where you're at. You see, if you are down and you're getting down on yourself and you're thinking that this isn't for you, the gospel has a way of taking the humble and bringing them up. But at the same time, the gospel has the way of taking the proud and bringing them down. You see, the gospel meets you where you're at. And through Jesus Christ, we have access to the Holy of Holies. And as we stand there in the presence of the Father... There is not one of us that's more worthy than the other 
because we've all come through the blood of Jesus. Does that make sense? So listen, my encouragement is don't let your own head or your critics keep you from the assurance that you have as a believer in Jesus Christ. And here's the last point. I know I need to wrap it up. Who can have this assurance? Can it really be yours? Can you leave here today? I hope I've explained it well enough. Can you leave here today knowing that God is for me? He is not against me. He's going to take care of it. It's going to be okay. Can you leave here today with that? How can that be true of you? Whatever situation. Now, that's a bold statement to make, isn't it? Because there's a lot of people here, and you have different things going on. You have different health situations going on. You have different things going on within your families. You have different things going on in your work. How could I make such a bold statement like that? Because it's not up to me to fulfill it. It's what God does. God takes care of his children. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And if Jesus says that, that's what he's going to do. His word says that all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. And if that's what God says, then that's what God is going to do. God says, Jesus said, great is he that is in you than he that is in what? The world. So guess what? The Holy Spirit that's in you is greater than the enemies of this world that you're going to face. So you see, I can make a statement like that because it's what God's word promises. And it's not up to me to keep God's word. It's up to God to keep his word. And he never fails. And so who can have that assurance? Who can have that assurance? Well, let's look at the, the last three verses and then, and then it'll be done. Also the sons of the foreigner who joined themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone, did you pick up on that word? Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for what? All nations. Who? All nations. The Lord God who gathers the what? The outcast of Israel. Yet I will gather to him others beside those who are gathered to him. So who can have this assurance? <laughs> Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. If you're here today and you're willing to cast yourself upon the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, to turn from your way and to believe upon Jesus that he is the Savior God has provided, you can leave here today with the assurance that God is for you, not against you, that you are a child of God, sealed with his spirit, called by his name, that he has a future and a hope prepared for you and that when the day of the Lord happens you will see your Savior return and he will say my child it's time to go home and in that he's going to make all things right you can literally leave here today with that assurance but to reject that to reject the Savior to reject Jesus means that you you're still standing in your own righteousness which before God is filthy rags which when Jesus returns, if all that you have is what you can offer, 
the words that you will hear is depart from me, for I never knew you. You see, to reject the way that God has provided of salvation means that when Jesus returns, he will reject you. He will give you what you want. After you have spent a life of rejecting him, he'll say, fine, you get what you want. Be forever separated from my presence. But it doesn't have to be that way. Today, as the Lord is calling, today as you hear his voice, respond to him today by faith. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you have died for me in my place for my sins, and I want to turn to you, acknowledging you as the way that I can be forgiven, that I can have the assurance that I am a child of God, that you are for me, not against me, and that you are going to make it all right. I can rest my hope in you. I want to close with uh, just this story. I have, you know, I come from a musical family, so I get all these books on music and hymns and stuff like that. This was actually one for my grandparents about different hymns, and this is about the hymn Blessed Assurance. Fanny Crosby wrote more than 8,000 hymns and used more than 200 pen names. Under contract to a music publisher, she wrote three new hymns each week, much of her adult life. That's crazy. The fact that she was blind didn't diminish her productivity. She would formulate an entire song in her mind and then dictate it to a friend or secretary. Phoebe Palmer Knapp, wife of the founder of the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company, composed a tune in 1873 and brought it to Crosby in Brooklyn. Play it for me again, Crosby asked. Uh, Knapp did and then asked, what does this tune say? She turned to see Crosby kneeling in prayer. Knapp played it a, a second time and then a third the blind woman, Crosby, responded, that says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I'm going to go on. Heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed of his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission. Perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bringing from above. Echoes of mercy. Whispers of love. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I, in my Savior, am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting. Looking above. Filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Is that your story today? Can you say, I have the assurance of the Lord Jesus Christ. That I am his, that he is mine. And I am working for my master, looking for that day when he will return. I'm going to bring us to a time of prayer to close out this part of our service. And I just want to invite you in, in one simple thing. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ. If God is drawing it is no mistake that you're here today. It is time for you to turn from yourself and to put your faith in Christ. To receive the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Spirit, to be saved. It's a work that God does as you call out by faith. Also, if you're a believer, aren't you glad that we have that assurance in Jesus Christ? And I really want to challenge you. Look, don't get lost in all the signs and the wonders and trying to predict the date and all that garbage. But set your heart upon the fact that Jesus is going to return. And I promise you, it'll change you. If you live with an expectation that my master could return at any moment, it'll change you. It absolutely will. I'm going to close my eyes and bow my head as a way of focusing in on the Lord. I want to invite you to do the same. Just pray with me. 
And if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ for forgiveness of sins, to become a child of God, just tell God what's in your heart. There, a specific prayer doesn't save you. It's by faith that we're saved. But, but you express that faith in prayer. You call out to him in prayer. Tell God what's in your heart. He'll hear you. Tell him something like this. Dear God, I, I confess my sins to you. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins and in my place, to rise again from the grave, and that he is going to return one day to take me home. So I ask you, Heavenly Father, today, because of Jesus, please forgive me of my sins, make me your child, and give me that assurance today. I place my faith in you. I place the full weight of my life in your hands. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving my soul. As we continue to pray, I just want to ask today, I just felt led to ask, because I, I, I would like to try to follow up with people as I can, but is anybody here today that you know that you just prayed that prayer? You just did business with God for the first time today. You just called out for the first time said, it's time for me to get right with God today. I need to become a child of God today. If for the first time you prayed that prayer, would you just maybe slip a hand up just enough where I could, where I could see you, where you're at. If you just today, for the first time, called out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. As we continue to pray, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the assurance we have as your children that you are good. You are great. And you are greatly to be praised. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.